were standing there together, my aunt and I, in the kitchen of my grandmother's old farmhouse. We were catching up. My family had come up to the old home place for Christmas, and I was a college freshman, and I was so excited about being a college freshman. I loved my school. So my aunt and I, we were talking about my experience, and she asked me a question. She asked, have they tried to take your faith yet? Well, that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the Making Midlife Matter podcast. Throughout Advent, we've been doing a series on what scares you. And today we're looking at the fear of losing our faith. Now, R.E.M. had a song called Losing My Religion. One of the things that, that keeps us boxed up or that frustrates us or that scares us is a fear that we will lose our faith. Now, you may be like I have been in my life where I have been a, a, a part of a church community practically since the day I was born pretty much for the entirety of my life. And even more than that, even as a kid, faith was really, really important to me. And my relationship with God was really, really important to me. I I couldn't imagine navigating life without it. That may be you, or it may be that you have come to faith or come back to faith later in life, and you just discovered this whole spiritual dimension, and it is so important to you. And you, again, you cannot imagine doing life without it, and yet, it's like there there start to be these pieces that don't really fit, and you don't know what to do with them. You know, sometimes the questions come because of things that happen to us in life, things that don't add up with what we were always told. Um, You may see good people who are in situations that are devastating. You know, suffering is, is one of those things that really can call our faith into question. If God is good, why does God allow some people to suffer so much and in fact some people who are such good people why do they struggle so much or why do they suffer so much or why do they have why why is it their kid is the one who gets killed by the drunk driver whereas these people who don't give a rip about anything and who are selfish and greedy and everything else they are sailing through life and it doesn't add up I think as we move into midlife, those questions can become more and more pointed for us and harder and harder to evade, to ignore, because we have, the, we have more experiences. And you may have had the experience of taking care of a parent in their last days and or taking care of a parent who had some form of dementia and 
my goodness, if that doesn't raise questions for a person of faith. You may have been in a situation of just caring for someone who suffered greatly. Now, I cared for my dad in his last years of life, and he had pulmonary fibrosis, which is a horrible disease. Your, your lungs pretty much turn to stone. It's like they, they cannot take the air in. And man, his last months, they were hard. They were so hard and it was so difficult to see such a good man suffer so deeply. So when we are in those, those kinds of situations, the easy, glib answers, even if they come from church or from a preacher or from whoever or an author, they don't ring true anymore. We find ourselves in situations where life just doesn't make sense. Or maybe you did everything right for your kid. Man, you, you followed Mr. Spock's child rearing and you did all of the um, all of the right play and you nurtured their brains and nurtured their spirits and you were you know, involved in their school and their class and you had them in church from the day they were born and you had prayer with them every night and you did everything right and your child went off the rails anyway. That's not the way it's supposed to work. You know, you, you probably were taught the scripture, train a child up in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it, but your kid has been doing nothing but departing. And so it calls into question. Or maybe you have been in a faith community that identifies that, that certain people are, sorry to say, sinful, but we all are, they are more obviously sinful. And it's not okay, and they are outside of God's grace. But then you meet these people, and you find that some of them are beautiful people of faith with such great hearts. And the condemnation that you hear from one quarter doesn't ring with the grace that you see in another quarter. And stuff starts getting jumbled inside. And sometimes people have lots of fear. If I go down this road, it's only going to lead me to a bad place. Now, there, there are a couple of reasons why this is a fear for us, and then I'm going to talk about why it doesn't have to be. Um, one is, is that sometimes we grow up in a fear-based religion. Now, thank God I did not experience this, and I am so grateful for it. But I know so many of you did that, that God was like a celestial Santa Claus, making a list and checking it twice, and God forbid you should do something wrong. You know, there's this, uh, have you lost your salvation? Do you know, oh my goodness, the, the, uh, the revival preachers 
who'd come through and say, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? And oh my goodness, people get so terrified. Well, I thought I was a Christian, but maybe not. Maybe it's not good enough. Maybe I need to walk down the aisle for the 43rd time just to be sure. And sometimes even though we grow up and we, you know, grow in our brains, we we think and, and we study, sometimes that old mindset still has a hook in us that religion and faith are based on fear. And I'm going to tell you that's not the truth. Throughout Scripture, again and again, the message comes, don't be so scared. Jesus, not once, not once, did he use fear as a way of calling people to discipleship. He invited them. He may have articulated consequences for behaviors, but he invited people and he loved people. And sometimes he loved them enough to confront them. But he never used that fear-based, that just keeps you in a state of anxiety of, am I good enough? Am I checking off all the right boxes? Am, am I towing the line well enough? See, if you're in that fear-based religion, then you can't ask a question. Because by definition, then you are rebelling against God, and that's not okay in that system. Now, in a minute, I'm going to tell you why that's all hogwash. Not to put too fine a point on it. The second reason we get hung up, and, and I think this is really pervasive, no matter how you grew up, no matter how you came to faith, and still a lot of us have this binary picture of faith. Either we have faith or we don't. Um, it's, it's yes or no. There's, there's no in-between. So therefore, if we start to question our faith, that means we don't have it. So we're over on in the other box, which is not a great box to be in. That means we have abandoned our faith. And that's what my aunt was scared of. She was scared that if a college professor questioned anything I had been taught or invited me to question anything I had been taught, then it was the whole baby going out with the bathwater. I was going to lose my faith. Now here's the irony. Yes, they did make me question things. And out of that questioning, I found an even deeper and more authentic faith. Uh, there's a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson called A Memoriam. It is like a gazillion verses long. It was, it was written in tribute to a good friend of his who had died. But in, in the poem, it says, he says of his friend, 
and talks about him asking questions. He faced his doubts. He gathered strength. Oh my goodness, I've got drawn a blank on it. He faced his doubts. He gathered strength. He would not make his judgment blind. He faced the specters of the mind. And thus he came to find a stronger faith his own. And power was with him in the night that made the darkness and the light and dwells not in the darkness alone. I love that. He faced the specters of the mind and laid them, and thus at length he came to find a stronger faith his own. Now, we have some pretty good um, testimony as to why questioning our faith is not only not the fast track to hell and not the fast track to losing our religion, but it's actually something God wants of us. So we find it in the story of Job in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. If you remember the story, Job was a righteous man, did everything right, the, the original good guy. And suddenly disaster upon disaster started falling on him. His, his animals got, his farm animals got sick and died and and one thing after another and until finally children died and Job himself was inflicted with this this terrible disease. And, and it says that through it all, Job remained faithful. That is, until his church friends came by. And his three friends came by and, and the scripture says at first, they sat with him in silence for three days because his suffering was so great. L.D. Johnson, my, my college chaplain and professor, said that was the last kind thing they did. Because after those three days, they started talking, and they started trying to get Job back on the right track. You see, they had a faith that believed that if you did everything right, everything right would go, everything would go right for you. So that if you were faithful and following God, you would have nothing but good things. And let me tell you, folks are still preaching this. That if you just follow God, you won't have any bad thing to deal with. Nobody will get sick. You will be prosperous. The whole nine yards. And that, that was their line. That was what they preached. And so after they had their compassionate silence, then they started doing their intervention. It's like, okay, Job, you need to fess up. What secret sin are you hiding? And Job said, nothing, I got nothing. And they said, no, 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 no. You must be hiding something. There must be some terrible sin in you because all of these terrible things have happened. And Job says, no, 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 no. I got nothing. I have been a righteous man. So the, the friends get madder and madder. And, and finally, Job just kind of loses it. And he explodes. And he shakes his fist at God. And he said, God, you need to get down here. You got some splaining to do. 
because it's not adding up anymore. And God answers Job, but you know what? He never answers his question. God basically says, I am so much more than you could ever take in. But here's the thing. God never smacks Job down for asking the question. In fact, there's this really amazing passage towards the end of the book where God says, Only my servant Job has spoken rightly by me. Did you catch that? God says that only the guy who flat out questioned his faith, who shook his fist at God, who said, this is not adding up, this is not what I was taught, this is not the way the world is supposed to go, only this guy was the one who has spoken rightly by me. Those other guys, they they were off the mark. So basically, God gave his blessing to us and for us to question, to wonder, even to challenge God. And it doesn't mean we are losing our religion. The, the second aspect of this that I think is really important is to think about what it says about relationship. In faith, we are called to be in relationship with God. What kind of a relationship is it when you can never question anything the other person says or does? Well, I'll tell you what kind of relationship it is. It's an abusive one because you don't get to be a whole person. So if we cannot come to God with our questions and our challenges and our doubts and, yea, even our fears, then how can we have anything resembling an authentic relationship with God? It will not work. It can't be real because our real souls are going to question They are going to doubt. They are going to wonder. And we will go through things in life that will take this this puzzle that we put together so neatly and scatter all the pieces until we find that we have to create an entirely new picture. So questioning isn't the opposite of faith. It's a necessary part of faith. I think it was, it was Teresa of Avila who said, God, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. She didn't get smacked down for that. The church later recognized her as a saint of the church. Finally, to question faith Uh, First of all, it means it recognizes that we are human and we are imperfect 
and sometimes we we speak the best we know of God and of faith and sometimes we are so insightful and so on target and sometimes we've just missed the boat so to question what we've been taught is simply just an acknowledgement that there is no one of us on this earth who's infallible and uh you know, some of the most powerful religious leaders are the ones who've said, I got it wrong. Billy Graham's a great example of this. Um, uh, Graham, you know, who's a super evangelist, went all over the world preaching, which was very known for his certainty about the gospel. And this is not so much questioning faith, but but questioning how he lived out that faith and that he became very involved politically and was very close to Richard Nixon, President Nixon, and really kind of got seduced by that political power, as we well know sometimes happens. To his credit, after the Watergate tapes came out and and Nixon was, was fully revealed for the scheming, manipulative, um, immoral, prejudiced crook that he was, Graham said publicly, Billy Graham said, I was wrong. I was wrong to embrace politics like that. I was wrong to embrace my access to the White House like that. I got it all mixed up. Tony Campola, who, who some of you may know, um, a very well-known preacher and speaker and writer, and for many years he took the position that, yes, God loved gay and lesbian people, but to in, engage, I hate the word gay and lesbian lifestyle, but to live your life as a fully as a gay person was against what God wanted. But you know what? Campolo didn't stop there. He questioned. He kept questioning and he kept seeking until the day came when he stood up and said, I was wrong. I was wrong. Here is how I have changed. And here is what I now believe. And I do not believe that God condemns gay and lesbian folks. I believe they are fully members and blessed members of God's family as they are. Now, that not only took spiritual guts, that took a lot of other kinds of guts, too. Because his speaking engagements, he had a full calendar, and man, it got empty after that. But his questioning didn't lead him away from faith. It led him to dig deeper into his faith.
So it, it comes down to, in, in some respects, <clears throat> whether or not we can trust God. Do we believe that we can trust God? Do we believe that God is really loving? You know, an abusive parent will not allow a child to question. You might say, Daddy, why, why are we doing this? Or Mama, why, why are we going this way? And the answer is, because I said so. Don't question. Because I know better. Don't question. Whereas a loving parent can allow a child to question. Tell me what you think. Why do you ask that? And they may say, this is why I'm doing this. But that's, that's um, paying attention to the child's question and taking it seriously and not shutting the child down with, it's not okay to ask. It's not okay for you to question me. So when we are afraid of losing our faith, we're really saying that we don't trust that God can hold us through our doubts and our questions and our wonderings and our seekings. And I believe, I truly believe that God is in the midst of all of that. That's been my experience. That in my times of questioning and shaking my fist at God, that God has been right there in the midst of it. And that we do not have to shut down any of our normal questions. We, we do not have to try to ignore any of the issues that midlife raises for us. We can fully engage with them, trusting that God does indeed love us and God does indeed hold us and God is not going to cast us out in the outer darkness because we kept seeking and questioning and wondering. So when the angel came to Mary, the angel said, fear not. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be so scared. And the angel gave news of a baby to be born. And when that baby grew up to be a man, he walked the countryside telling people, you don't have to be so scared. Don't be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. And this, as I record this, we are heading through the last week of Advent. And I hope for you, wherever you are, in whatever way you need to hear it, you will also hear for you. You don't have to be so scared. So, that's our podcast for today. 
I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, you can go to heartcallings.com and find out more about me, find my blog there. Incidentally, if you are going through a holiday season where you are missing someone, where a loved one has died, a parent or a spouse or a child, you're, you've got that empty place at the table, um, I've got a blog post about that, a, a really short kind of poetic reflection about that, and I invite you to check it out, heartcallings.com. In the meantime, I'm Peggy Hames, and I will look forward to seeing you next week. Take care.